Welcome to Girl Geek X podcast, connecting you with insights from women in tech. I'm Angie, founder of Girl Geek X, and this podcast brings you the best of Girl Geek X events, dinners, and conferences. We've been elevating women in tech for over 10 years. Hi, I'm Sukruta, CTO of Girl Geek X. I'm Gretchen, COO of Girl Geek X. And I'm Rachel, the producer of this podcast. And today we'll be talking about hiring. Why might this topic be valuable for our listeners? We are as successful as our team, and so hiring is definitely an important part of how we how we function at work and how successful we are going to be at our job. Um, I'd imagine that's why it's super relevant to everyone. What do you think, Gretchen? I mean, I think this is, it's one of the hardest things to get right, um, and the first thing that'll sort of, um, everybody, like, I think we should definitely go into it today, like, everybody's, like, worst mistake, because I think those are the ones that you can learn from because we've all made them. And then, you know, the flip side of like also when to get rid of people, right? And what do you do when you did get that hire wrong? I think the word hiring is in the air. Wherever you go here in the Silicon Valley, everyone is hiring. Everyone's hiring. Everyone's looking to also um, get hired. And um, one of the things that I hear a lot about is um, how to bridge that gap. For our last podcast, we did becoming a manager and hiring was part of that conversation. So it's interesting just seeing how much is affected in your work just by hiring. So I definitely think it's valuable to look at this as its own topic and think about how to do it well. Yeah, because yeah. we did talk touch on when you inherit a team versus hiring it yourself, right? And like how much that can impact your effectiveness. Um, so I think it is important to make its own little topic. Hiring is definitely something that should be on the top of everyone's mind, no matter whether you are at a growth startup that's aiming to be a billion dollar company with thousands of employees to even uh, the small business where you still need to hire people who are going to be leaving your company um, and there's still always hiring to be had. So one of the most basic questions that comes up when hiring is what to look for in a candidate. How would you all answer that question? One of the like, first thoughts when we ask about what do we look for in candidates is also what are we looking for in the role? Many times when people are starting to talk to candidates, they don't actually have a well-defined role or that role continues to evolve over weeks and months. So it's always kind of like a moving target. And then later when you hear about candidates who are turned on for this role um, and they blame themselves, it's actually that the role had changed or that they wound up not being a good fit because of the constant nature of changing um, needs of an organization. Uh, someone once asked me, would I choose some choose a candidate who was really smart or someone who was really hardworking? <laughs> it would suck to have to choose between the two, but I would, um, I typically look for potential. Um, and, you know, sometimes that comes through in an interview uh, process and sometimes that doesn't, you know, sometimes I've really felt someone ha- came across like they were high potential and they were, you know, I misread it and vice versa. Sometimes people have come across really laid back and I've just taken a chance on them and they've actually been amazing contributors. What's been your experience, Angie? I completely agree with you on sometimes people phrase it as what you want, someone who's smart versus hardworking. Uh, when I was younger, I used to think, say smart and now I think hardworking is actually Trump smart when smart doesn't work hard. And um, whether I think that you have mentioned potential it's so hard to understand what that looks like and try not to model that off the typical like Harvard, Stanford look and feel. 
um, or for, like I think I hear a lot of people are like, oh, we have hired a former Googler, we have hired a former Facebooker, former Stanford, and is like, is that really America? What's smart? I know plenty of mediocre Stanford and Harvard people too. So what are the markers we can really look for um, besides like a very high energy bubbly person? Is it like someone who is laid back and but laid back can also mean they're like slow and steady wins the race and they'll figure it out. Um, so, um, yeah, when hiring, usually the goal, I think, is to not uh, try to put someone into a box, but also to look for um, just a more diverse team. Yeah, I think I like 10 years ago, I would have answered this question different. Um, and I think somewhere along the way, um, a few people sort of made me realize um, it was okay for me to not be good at a bunch of things and to hire for your weaknesses. And that also helps when you sort of have a layer of management beneath you to write to hire people. So I have ADHD um, and this VC, Mark Suster started writing about his like struggles with it. And I felt like that when I read that blog, it actually kind of freed me a little bit because he's like, I'm not a finisher. Um, I get really impatient with these things. I get annoyed in meetings when they're going like this. And these are the things that I do. But like, also in this way of like, you don't have to apologize for those things being right. You just he's like, now I hire finishers. And I'm not like, sorry, he's like, I can get the first 80% done. Like, faster than anyone else. And then I just get really frustrated with the last 20%. I was like, oh, thank you for saying that. Like, um, and it changed the way that I look at hiring. I think for me, thinking back on the two different people that I've hired during my career and comparing what I was looking for in those hiring processes showed kind of what I learned about hiring through those experiences. So I think with the first person that I hired, I was working for a nonprofit and I was really interested in seeing, like, do they understand our mission? Can they fit into the organization's culture? Is their philosophy about this work aligned with what we're doing? Kind of thinking that a lot of stuff would flow from that. But then the second <laughs> time around, I was like, you know, can this person do like the technical aspects of this job and actually give me the support that a person in this role is supposed to give and really coming down to a more basic level of what I was looking for, just seeing about, yeah, really thinking about hiring as filling the needs of myself and of the program and the team and not really thinking about it as much in terms of fit like I had before. Um, there's sort of the harder and smarter thing, but I look for qualities of determination. I look for someone who worked while they were in college or um, took like a you know, like they're the oldest child who had to care for younger siblings or like something about their story um, that shows me that they are willing to figure it out. Like there's sort of this self-sufficiency. And I think um, that's probably what you guys are talking about when you say work harder, but that there's something about that, like, will this person stick with it and try to figure it out before they come back with like, here's what I learned. Can you help me with this last part? Rather than coming and being like, I tried that. What else? Right. Where you're essentially um, sort of having to feed them everything to get it done. So that kind of brings us to um, Alice Guillaume and Katie Jansen, who are respectively the director of marketing and the CMO at App 11, where we hosted a dinner last year. Um, and they give their advice on what they look for in candidates. So I'm very passionate about hiring and recruiting. Um, 
the resume is important, but for me, it's really the human and the psych psychological aspect of who you are. So when I interview candidates, there are two main things that I care about. Um, the first one is ability to learn. So you will hear throughout the theme of our panel that the only constant is change. Um, and that's, I think, a core thing that has driven our company to be so successful today is constantly evolving. Um, to be able to move that fast, um, we need to hire people who are open to learning, who are open to self-improving, and who are receptive to knowledge and feedback. So, for example, when our team ramped up from 15 to over 30, that doesn't happen overnight. That's a collaborative effort of everybody on the team, from the individual contributors to the leads. Um, and that really requires that openness and heart to be flexible. The second thing I care about is grit um, and passion. So I think that speaks to the first one is be receptive, be open to learning, and two is apply that in your day-to-day -day and be able to put in the amount of work that it takes, and you need to have the passion to be able to want to do that. I have had clear conversations before where I will say, I am not talking about skin color. I am not talking about gender. I am talking about this person is different than we normally hire, and I don't want to talk about team fit. Do they fit the company? Because when you say team fit, that is actually just who people on the team want to hang out with, in my opinion. <laughs> and that's uncomfortable to say, but, it, but it's kind of the truth, right? And so how can we, and so now we have more people on the team that are, you know, commuting from, you know, an hour and a half away, or they have kids that are in high school. And that isn't really what the makeup of our team used to be. Um, we have someone who just started who is a former professor. Like, it, it is different, and I'm really trying to push the team to do that, because I think we will be better, and we will push the envelope more if we can start to do that. Do you have any thoughts on the criteria that Alice uses? I think that sounded kind of similar to what you were talking about with hiring hard workers. On those hiring guidelines, um, hiring for openness and grit, I think those all sound like wonderful things. It does make me a little um, cautious um, because then that start painting a picture of someone who grew up pretty privileged in life to have a lot of openness um, and to have um, time to have a lot of projects on the side, play cello professionally, etc. As someone who's been uh, raised with 11 years of piano playing, I recognize there is a certain type of middle class person that will do this. And I wouldn't want to work with nothing but other people with the same background in my team. So I think there has to be something actively done to counteract uh, the hiring of people with so many hobbies and projects. And I know that looks good on a resume because you're like, yes, this person has a lot of projects under this, their belt, but also you're going to end up hiring a team full of people that went to a UC or better. So hopefully you're not just hiring people based on what their resume says, right? You go through a few rounds um, to assess whether or not they are what you think your team is missing. Um, and I think just my take has typically been like rather than us sort of specifically call out, you know, what diversity seems to mean to us because it obviously means different things to different people. I uh, I feel like I try to identify what's missing in terms of skill set, in terms of, you know, everything else on the team 
And then, you know, that then tells me what I should be specifically looking for. Now that works sometimes, it doesn't work sometimes. So that's part of why you keep, you know, modifying your hiring process to then hopefully get it right along the way or mostly right. Yeah. I mean, I think what you were saying earlier, Sukruta, is you're looking at the whole person. Mm -hmm. And, you know, while one thing might be a symbol of growing up middle class or with a little bit more privilege, that doesn't necessarily mean that's an indication of the whole person. You're just trying to say that this person has um, a lot of qualities and interests. um, And it's not necessarily just getting more same, same. But I mean, Angie's point is totally valid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I guess... The cello thing, the cello talent was one example, but I've also seen people who who see my involvement with Girl Geek X as a positive, like a huge positive, and some people think, oh, wow, that sounds like such a distraction. Yeah. So to me, like, I tend to want to, just because I know I am a problem solver, I tend to look for what else are you doing besides the plan that's laid out for you. Right. right? Because those so, are also the people, I feel like I call them checklist people, which is yeah. kind of obnoxious, but um, like these people who, you know, go to this, get this on your SATs, go to one of these three schools, go get a job at one of these 10 companies, right? They have a path and there are companies that are great for people with like those clear paths and sort of their little things that they want to check off in life. Life and their life plan. Um, but if you're looking for people that you need a little bit more flexibility from, right? Like at an early stage startup, those people, they flounder and die because they need more structure. Yeah, I think I think when people are looking for a specific college you graduated from, it's a, it's a symptom of a problem where they have to fill these open headcount quickly. And so they are like, what is the quickest path? to get a button, that seat that I have open. And so they try to eliminate rounds of chance that they need to, they think they need to take. And the easiest way to eliminate is to say, okay, where did you go to school or where did you work at last? I mean, I think in Silicon Valley, people are very enamored with what school you went to. Um, and you can't really, like my hero, Frida K. Klein has a quote about, you know, going to Stanford and working at Google aren't skills. If you're looking for very smart and talented people and you're sort of taking this shortcut of using like, oh, well, if Stanford took them, then they meet my criteria um, and assuming that Stanford has a level playing field to start with. Right. Because they're recruiting from the same schools that are recruiting from the same schools. And so it's not really a pipeline problem. It's a fishing problem, right? Like everyone's fishing in the same pond and then they're like, but we're all fishing here and there's no different fish. And I came back the next day and there's no different fish. And it's like, it doesn't work that way. Right. But you cannot tell me that like the top, you know, engineering candidate at like Ohio state or any, you know, like Howard or wherever, you cannot tell me that the candidates in those are like somehow less qualified than someone who just happened to be at the bottom of their class at Stanford. I feel like to that end, recruiters get a bad rap in the Silicon Valley because they're doing the hard work. They're looking for candidates. They're putting them in front of hiring managers. And to fill really big hiring quotas at big companies, they have to find people they think are going to make the cut. And that will probably be UC or higher uh, for colleges. And then they hire the DNI person who has to try to come in and change things. Right. But this is systemic. Like what you're talking about, like this is actually the problem. This is institutionalized discrimination, right, of 
if you're going to take this shortcut because you're trying to fill the roles and you can't give anyone a break in this process. Absolutely. Every single person that's touching it is responsible. And I get that the system sort of works this way, but to like say that one group is more or less responsible than another, like everybody's taking shortcuts and everybody needs to step back and be like, what part am I playing? Because if you're not doing anything, you're supporting it. Absolutely. I think actually um, having worked at a women's engineering school and hearing about how women have gotten jobs in tech, they have traditionally not gone through any recruiter at a company. It's been um, going to an event, meeting someone at a company. So say you went to a, a JavaScript meetup and you met a Pinterest engineer and they put your, your resume into their system. You're going to get that job at a much higher rate than you would have if you gone through the front door, which would have been screened by a recruiter. So uh, we find we hear at Girl Geek Dinners all the time that it's not necessarily the recruiter, but other people um, in, around you who are engineers, product managers, someone who just works in the company that will you'll meet casually and you can link in with each other and then send over a resume and then they'll put you in and you have a much higher chance of getting hired than going through the front door of the recruiter. That's probably because the recruiter has is the first gate in the process. And then finally it reaches the engineering manager and then the team member who's involved, right? So if you skip through all of that and you go straight to the engineering manager or the team member, you've already, you know, passed through the stages of elimination. So during our last Elevate conference, interviewing IO founder and CEO Aileen Lerner shared her findings on bias and hiring. The most compelling bias, or I guess the strongest signal of bias that we've seen has actually been against people with non-traditional educational and work backgrounds. So if you didn't go to a top school and you didn't work at a top company, you're, it's going to be really, really hard for you to get in the door. What we've seen repeatedly, and, and this is the thing that blows my mind, is with some of the bigger customers that we have where they get a lot of inbound applications, people have applied they've gotten rejected at the resume screen. So before anybody ever interviewed them mm -hmm. and then they came in. So then they used our platform practiced and got good enough to, or in many cases they were already good enough, but they, they got access to our employer portal um, interviewed with those companies and actually got hired. <laughs> and then of course, you know, once they got, they unmasked after their interview, uh, the recruiting team can see, Oh shit, this person is in our ATS. <laughs> <laughs> rejected them, you know, six months ago before anyone talked to them. Oh, shit, there's something wrong here. Um, in fact, 40% of the hires we've made in the last two years have been people that would have been turned. Companies admitted they're like, whoa, I never would have. What the hell? Right. And that's mm -hmm. why we insist interviews be anonymous or where they actually have been turned away by um, that employer. Interviewing.io is a platform where you can um, meet with hiring managers from um, specific companies, like if they're people from Facebook, and they will help you prepare for an interview. It doesn't have anything like this isn't part of the hiring cycle. It has nothing to do with it. And they'll help you prepare for technical interviews. Um, and what's And they have a really, really great rate. And then when you're part of the program and you're interviewing um, with a company that's using interviewing.io for their hiring, then this is what they're talking about where it's a blind test. Like they can't see your age, your gender, your school, anything. You're just being evaluated on what you did. So it's a cool platform because from the, the 
uh, candidate side, they're getting very well prepared. And from the employer side, they're removing all of the bias that comes in um, with what school they went to or what companies they worked for or even, you know, um, what their experience level is. So it's like how in the orchestras, when they have blind auditions, exactly their rate of women who are admitted and succeed become more equitable when you don't know who was on the other side of that curtain. Right. Okay. Awesome. That's yeah. Really you just hear. don't let people bring their biases to the table. Right. And the results are like, on one level, I'm like so pissed that like these 40% of people never even made it past. But then I'm so grateful for someone like Aline that's like, doing um, something like this to make it possible, right? There are a lot of companies in kind of the HR tech space that are doing things like this to help everyone kind of take their little filters and biases out of the process. There was this, um, <clears throat> there was this blog that uh, I think the title was companies that hire men. And what it did was it searched for job listings that had very male-centric names in it, like Rockstar, Kodo, or we need someone who can do blah, he should be able to join the team, blah, 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 you know, like things like that. And it was astounding how many big and medium-sized and small company job listings showed up there. And this was also probably before, you know, the whole conversation became more... um, mainstream to talk about diverse being mindful of hiring without bias but even so I think that opened up a whole conversation of the fact that people might think that they have no bias why do we even need this why do we need the blind screening but you know guess what we need all of that because we obviously have this ingrained bias um, that's built over years and years and years that we need to shake off so um it's so interesting, Aline's numbers and her, her findings on the bias bias in hiring. Yeah, I think it's Textio, is it, that does, they help you remove the the, the gendered words and things from your from your thing. Yeah, I'm when I started, when that first started coming out, like, I think there was, like, a Twitter thing with, like, words um, that sort of sparked some of the, it was, like, five or six years ago or something. And I was like, oh, I've used some of those words in, like, like, I think I've probably put badass in a job description mm-hmm. because I thought it made us sound cool and less corporate, yeah. but, like, and not realizing, like, oh, like, okay. And, and being, you know, if you don't think you're biased, like, that is a huge problem. Right. Like everyone needs to be like, we're all racist. We're all biased. We all bring all of these different things to the table. And if you don't believe that about yourself, you are a huge part of the problem Um, and and kind of getting deep and honest with that. There's so many varying degrees of bias and, and, you know, manifest in so many different ways. We need to be so mindful when we're hiring and keep evaluating as much as possible. Do we have the right panel? of interviewers? Do we have the right people who are screening the resumes? Is it just a word search that's being done through resumes to like pick which resumes the hiring manager is going to see or is there more to it? Are we going to various like networking events? Are we going to conferences? Are we going to all these other places where we will get access to, um, you know, all all varying candidates that are equally um, equally competent, just 
may not have the same checklist of skills on or checklist of achievements on their resume. A good way that I've seen people hire some pretty non-traditional and awesome candidates has been mentoring boot camp grads mm-hmm. and also programs like Code 2040, or you can find an intern from an underrepresented group to be a mentor for and um, help push their careers forward. Building off of what Sukrutha said, but also particularly in that you need to go from more than one angle. Like if you look at the way that um, KPOR Center for Social Impact um, and how they hire and how KPOR Capital hires, you can't go in through a referral. Everyone has to go in through the front door so that there's like a literal level playing field. Um, And that, you know, part of that reason is that people from underrepresented backgrounds don't have that network. And so if you're relying, this goes back to what Sukruth is saying, like don't do just one thing. Cause if you're required, like hire, uh, hiring based on people's networks, you're going to end up with, you know, Angie's middle-class. We all went to the same, you know, five different schools um, and that sort of thing. And so thinking about, I think the the foundational part of that is, looking at what makes you think someone is qualified to start with. So what does that school say about them? Or what does this role at this company? And sort of like, go back and be like, why do I think that? Do I think that because everyone around me went to a top school and I went to a top school? So if I say that, um, you know, someone coming from any school would be as good as I am, like somehow that makes my degree less valuable, right? Like this is part of acknowledging your privilege um, and acknowledging that the things that um, you've decided are the qualifications and the values um, don't actually align with who can be successful in that job. At last year's Girl Geek X conference, Elevate, Miriam Aguirre, SVP of Engineering at Skills, shared her thoughts on how to hire diverse teams during our engineering leadership panel. I feel like this is one of those things that if you start out with a non-diverse team, it gets harder and harder to to fix that problem. But if you start with a very diverse team, it lends itself very well to continuing to promote diversity um, from the hiring decisions, you know, the, the recruiting, how, how it's done, the, how we present ourselves, um, but very hard to fix later on. And so, you know, you, you can start by doing the right thing um, and, and things will be kind of steady state and, and not that hard to fix <laughs> later on. Um, or, or you can be in a situation where you're like, oh, you know, like, like a Google or, or, or a company like that, where you just have like a ton of work to do there. Um, I think for us, because we're in this situation, what we're trying to do is to continue to promote that. We're, we're more open to different backgrounds. Uh, we've got uh, objective testing that can help us kind of uh, suss out whether or not you've got the technical skills to succeed here. And, and we don't really look at the at the at, at that CS degree as a as a you know bar that that's the first barrier to entry, um, so you know we feel good about processes downstream being able to inform us whether or not we think the, the person is going to be uh, successful on the team, and then once they do join the team, we make it part of multiple people's goals to have that person succeed here in the company. So it isn't just that individual out there floating by themselves, you know, multiple people are responsible for the success of that person and they know it. And and everyone is, you know, aware of like, okay, so you're this person's, you know, 
tech lead, you're this person's mentor, you're this person's all of those all of those pieces of the onboarding that we kind of try and and ensure that uh, once they've joined the organization, they're going to have the the support framework to succeed here, um, and and that really helps us kind of uh, all of us be invested in the success of any one individual, uh, because at at the end of the day, you know, it, just fixing hiring isn't going to fix uh, the other problems. I absolutely agree that you have to get started early in championing and hiring for a diverse team. Um, once you get past even like into, once you get past single digits of people and you're like, wait, this team looks too much alike. You really have to stop hiring and, until you get that bit of diversity that you are looking for. And it could be uh, many things. Um, I guess for us, we Girl Geek X gender is one thing we look at, but also like age, backgrounds. Um, so absolutely just being able to nip it from the very beginning and make sure that your team is diverse so that your first person doesn't feel so lonely and hopefully they don't feel too lonely for too long and you have that second person uh, and then that third person and then suddenly it's hopefully easier. But you can't, I mean, it's... Yes, you have to start very early. And I think the, the thing to watch out for is that um, early on, you will actually go faster the more alike your team is. And so as you ha add people, it will feel more frictionful if they come to the table with a bit of cognitive diversity, however that comes in. Um, but that uh, also that you can't hire a woman or hire a person of color or hire someone that's in whatever way different from the typical thing on your team if they all come from the same background anyway, right? Back to Angie's point about middle class and our talk about like what schools you go to, right? Like just adding a woman to the team, like that's great. Um, but then also what kind of environment are you creating for that person to keep them? Um, because if you're bringing someone in and you're like, have this big discussion about we hired a woman and we have to stop doing all of these things. Like you've kind of got a problem with your culture right there um, that you want to stop and think about. Um, but hiring is very important, but keeping them is more important um, and making sure that you're creating an environment that people want to stay in. Yeah. You probably want to like build your pipeline, you know, even before you actually have a position open and like, stay in touch with really strong potential people that, you know, again, don't fit the same mold as everybody else on your team. And I think, I think the, like I said earlier, the problem comes when you feel like you have a really short window to fit, fill that open headcount that you might have. And so taking your time beforehand, um, I find I've had an easier time then. Yeah. And not thinking of it as a nice to have, but it's a must have because I mean, I don't even know how many studies are out there now that show that teams with cognitive diversity and people coming from different angles at a problem makes companies more successful long term. So one thing that I think is interesting from Aileen's quote and from this is kind of how focusing on technical skill and creating situations where that's all you're evaluating based on helps you fight bias. But how do you fight bias in hiring when you don't have that like objective standard to come back to where there's not just like a test that someone can take and they get a score? So how do you deal with that? I mean, I think it sort of kind of goes back to the, the top of this and, and where we started, right, of 
um, what is it that makes this human a whole human, right? Um, and what it is and understanding what you're missing in your team, not just from a skills perspective, but from a, like, is there, like, there's this great profile called Bassador. It's B-A-S-A-D-U-R. Um, and it's a, it's a problem solving. Um, so it's not a Myers-Briggs or any of those like personality tests. These are just um, in, there's sort of four segments in solving a problem. And what quadrant does that particular person fall into. And I found that was really, really helpful, um, particularly when you have a smaller team and there's just some friction and you can't figure it out because everyone's smart and motivated and working, but like stuff just keeps breaking. Um, and when I did this with my team, it was like, oh, we're missing someone in that second quadrant. And so we're all kind of like filling it in. And it's not like anyone is just one thing, but figuring out what is, you know, and it, it's sort of like the the idea person and the conceptualizer and then the, I think it's like the generator and the implementer. And so thinking about like, where does this person fall in this cycle? And if you have like a whole bunch of people that are just implementers, like shit's just getting done, but it's maybe not the right stuff that's getting done. So it's a really cool way. I think of thinking about um, what, cause it's hard to tell like what sort of personality traits that you're missing, but I feel like this is a great way of, illustrating that and it also helps when the team sees where other people are like I've definitely I did it in this last company that I worked for also and they were all like oh this makes more sense because it feels like so-and-so's out in left field and look his little dot is way out in like that quadrant right (laughs) but then them also that person being like oh this is why I feel so alone um but understanding you know and when everyone looks at that they had to understand that like his role is actually just as important Right. Even though he is out there on his own. I like how you're reminding us to uh, keep an eye on the biggest picture. I feel like a lot of him with hiring and recruiting is just like we need to put highly qualified people into these roles and just starts looking like that cookie cutter. But actually stepping back and saying, what does this team look like? What do we need in this team? And this and what exactly are those qualities? What is qualified? Right. That's the part that. I feel like it's the foundation of just going back and questioning all of the assumptions that we have. I feel like the best engineering managers I know begin hiring before they even need it. Like they are already building their networks. Yeah. They're already um, befriending a lot of the Coney boot camps um, programs for reaching out to under, underrepresented groups and volunteering and mentoring and getting, getting to know them. So by the time they do hire, they already know all the people they have um, warm contacts there. They're taking coffee uh, meetings with people who may at first seem underqualified, but with some coaching over time, they will be qualified. And by then you will make a very valuable hire that you'll be known for. Any takeaways or last thoughts on hiring? My takeaway and my last thoughts are just that you can't stop. You have to keep trying to reach people um, and get access to candidates that traditionally fall into your purview. You have to look around a lot more and keep looking it never stops absolutely i think my my last thought is that engineering managers and managers of all stripes and spots <laughs> should be always networking um and meeting diverse candidates and people and i think girl geek dinners are absolutely a great place for that we have a lot of people who come who are hiring and looking to get hired a lot of i like to see diversity in our audience 
genders, ages, backgrounds, departments. It's not just engineering, although we are over-indexed in engineering here, but it is definitely, hopefully, a place where we can get to know each other and help each other out in our careers. And whether that means the first time or second time or third time in applying, I always have to remind people that it takes more than that first step. Nothing comes easily. And my final thing is that um, while it is hired and you have to sort of get to know yourself uh, very well to start building a more diverse team, um, that's actually just the first step. And you need to work on building a very inclusive environment um, where all voices can be heard. I think I mentioned this on an earlier podcast, but I think there's one book called The Loudest Duck um, that's really awesome for helping think about um, your own biases and things that you think are traits of managers or this person needs to speak up more. Um, and it's it's a good jumping off point to start thinking about how you manage and how you can manage in a more inclusive way, even though it it's a little narrow in what it does, it will at least made me start thinking more broadly just based on having read it. Rachel? I think my big takeaway is something you said, Gretchen, just to really come back and think about what you actually need in a role before you're saying like, oh, we want someone with this degree or this experience thinking about like, what are we actually hiring for? What kind of qualities would be good? Yeah, what would actually make someone successful? Yeah, I think bringing it all back to that is a great way to approach hiring. Yay! Yay! Thanks for listening to this episode of the Girl Geek X podcast. We'll be back soon with more advice from women in tech. This podcast was sponsored by AppLovin. AppLovin offers a comprehensive platform that gives app developers of all sizes ability to market, grow, and even finance their businesses. This podcast was also sponsored by Interviewing.io, which lets software engineers practice technical interviewing anonymously and land great jobs in the process. Become awesome at technical interviews, get fast-tracked at amazing companies, and find your next job all in one place. This podcast is produced by me, Rachel Jones. To learn more about Girl Geek X or buy tickets to our next dinner, visit girlgeek.io. You can also find video and transcripts from the events we talked through today. If you're interested in hosting a Girl Geek dinner, email sponsors at girlgeek.io.